Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelicone. Tonight, you're listening to episode 143, and we are covering the top five horror remakes that are as good as the original. Um, we had planned on an episode like this that was not horror-specific, I think last year at some point. You came up with the idea, Frank, and I remember the initial short list was like all Westerns and horror movies anyway, and then... Um, couple months ago uh one of our listeners chris heil uh mentioned doing something like this for horror specifically and when we looked at the list it was pretty easy considering your short list and um and he mentioned that it paired nicely which i would have never thought of that it paired nicely with our um top five worst horror remakes that Mm. we did like as i think uh almost like filler episode um like two and a half years ago um because something fell through but uh which was a really fun episode though um but yeah i'm 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 really interested in talking about uh this list so um yeah that's what we got tonight so how are you feeling this week i feel good yeah. um this was a really difficult list for me to order um past number five but no, number five i feel like was pretty pretty easy to put in that position but the other four i think were all like i kind of enjoy equally so it was just difficult to it's more just the order I want to talk about them in, less about like what I consider, you know, their ranking in terms of quality of film. So, yeah. And the nice thing is, like, I've watched all of these movies in the past mm, six months, seven months, something like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of these, uh, I guess I had seen almost all of these before to some degree. Um, yeah, there was two I hadn't seen, but yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what um what else was on your short list for this? Um, I considered the uh, Maniac remake uh, with Elijah Wood from um, 2012. Um, it's actually probably better than the original Maniac which I forced you and Ryan to watch a couple mm-hmm. months ago, and you both hated. Um, I thought about maybe 13 Ghosts, even though I'm not, like, the biggest fan of 13 Ghosts, but in terms of, like, it being better than the original, I think it's a... It's just different. It's a... It's, a, it's kind of a fun, like, action horror movie. Um, Dawn of the Dead, I thought about the one from uh, 2004. Um, also considered... Uh, one movie that we've already talked about and we'll probably talk about again at some point is uh the thing uh the carpenter version um as well as uh cronenberg's the fly um which i think is probably i enjoy more than the original mm-hmm. um werner herzog's nosferatu mm-hmm. is another one that i considered putting on the list but that's going to be on a different list at another point so you can save that um the 05 Dark Water remake is actually <coughs> really good. And um, uh, The Uninvited, the one that's the remake of uh, Tale of Two Sisters, um, is another one that I think probably not as good as the original, but still is like like a cool take on that movie. Um, it's one of those ones where you feel like... One of the problems with horror remakes in general is horror tends to depend a lot on the element of surprise. So 
when you're watching something that's been made before you you can kind of lose that element and it sort of takes something away from the remake effort um but then they have to do something completely different right which i think all all five of these movies generally uh yeah take the elements of the first of the original movie and change them in some way to make them better maybe in some cases different in other cases um yeah it's kind of i mean it's like covers to like songs almost it's like a lot of times you have to do something different with it to to make it okay yeah there's occasionally there's that one one cover that's just really good that does nothing different um right yeah it's strange there's a movie that's really reviled um that i actually i think is is flawed but i admire like a lot of its effort and that's um the halloween remake the rob zombie one um not nearly as good as the original so not it wouldn't be anything we would put on this list but it's like i understand i think what he was trying to do to kind of push that movie into a more extreme like modern direction i just think it i think like a lot of rob zombie stuff it, it falls short in many ways um and it's probably too like too extreme kind of like he goes a mm-hmm. little too far sometimes but there's certain scenes in that movie that he films especially um in the latter half when myers is stalking the town uh that are really really excellently filmed and um he does build some some great tension sometimes with the way that he frames shots and uh sets up you know like scare moments or however you want to say it mm-hmm. but, um, it's just unfortunate that there's so much in that movie that's just too too obvious i guess it's like he's trying to be shocking and it, it makes him miss its mark mm-hmm. um which is unfortunate but you could also argue that the only really great movie that Rob Zombie's ever made is Devil's Rejects, and yeah, everything else has been some various degree of less than successful. So, yeah, I was looking up the Uninvited. I, I guess I have seen that, and it's okay. Yeah, it definitely isn't as good as Tale of Two Sisters to me. But um, I think definitely. if you, I think if you would have watched that movie without ever seeing Tale of Two Sisters, it would be a much better movie. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't automatically know what the twist in that movie is from the from the jump because that really pulls a lot of the um i mean that's the greatest thing about tale of two sisters is and we've we've talked about that on a podcast before mm-hmm. um the first time you watch that movie if you don't know what's going to happen so anyone that's listening if you've never watched the tale of two sisters do yourself a favor and just watch it without reading anything about it um the first time you see that movie like it's amazing the way that it sets up the premise of that movie from the beginning sure and that when you go back and look at it you can see how all of those things were there it just you didn't know um like what it was building towards and i really think the uninvited does a good job with that i just feel like i feel like because you know like it it just removes some of that element which is unfortunate and that's actually one of the things with these five movies that I think they all do really well is that you know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, you know the end result of every single one of these movies going in for the most part, or at least like some proximity of where it's going to land. Um, but they all do it uh, so well that um, 
you know like it makes it successful and i think that's why all five of these movies are worth are worth talking about and i don't think that in any of them are derivative of their source material and i don't think that any of them um are condescending towards their source material which i think is a problem sometimes um like some people some horror remakes fall really short things like uh a lot of the texas chainsaw massacre remakes the hills have eyes remake um like the nightmare on elm street remake the friday the 13th remake it's just like they're remakes that don't understand the value of the source material and i think that's the important thing is like you can't be precious to it i mean your analogy there to like a cover song is is really like spot on um you don't want to be precious where it's like note for note but you have to have a certain respect for the thing that you're remaking and i think that all five of these movies carry a pretty strong admiration for the movie that came before that they're remaking yeah see it's interesting too another one you brought up uh is dark water and i know that you have always you've always kind of liked that remake and i'll have to watch it again at some point so hopefully it does go on a list at some point uh but because it's one of those things i don't think i'll hit play on otherwise but i remember thinking it was too derivative myself of the original like almost too note for note Hmm. to that it didn't really like affect me whatsoever it's like i thought it was done well for an american audience overall but i didn't think it added anything like new necessarily so i I would be interested in watching it again i agree like i don't know that it i mean what's his name um hideo nakata or whatever the guy that directed the original ring that directed dark water Mm -hmm. um that dude like at that point in time was maybe the best director in horror like in the entire world i mean there's not much especially dark water the japanese version is visually one of like the most amazing horror movies i've ever seen just in terms of like Mm -hmm. its entire like visual atmosphere and i think that taking the elements of that and americanizing them in terms of Jennifer Connelly's character, like as the mother and the daughter, and just the mythos of like the building itself and Americanizing it. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't change much, but it sets it differently, kind of. So it still has, to me, it's still interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, like, one of the things with watching any foreign film, especially like Asian horror and Japanese horror specifically, but also like Thai horror and Korean horror is that it's all very predicated on um, knowing the culture and having an understanding of like the social mores of those countries, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's some things, and I would never claim to be like an expert on anything, but I've watched enough movies and like read enough where I think I kind of know some of that stuff. Some of those things like fall flat a little bit if you don't quite understand like what the horror is there. Right. There's certain things, especially with, you know, and again, with like Asian horror about honor and saving face and um, societal standing that we don't necessarily deal with that I think is probably a little more horrifying to like an audience that that lives in in that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that changing it, and again, there's several movies here we're going to talk about that are remakes of a foreign film where that changes enough where 
you're still getting the same story, but you're getting it from a slightly different perspective. Um, and in terms of an American film, sometimes a lot more aggressively like pushed towards you. Um, and I think that the American Dark Water does that well. Yeah. And I think that Connolly is fantastic in it. And I think visually yes. it's just yeah. a... It's got a really good cast to it. Like a really... in it, I remember. And yeah. Yeah. It, it's just, it's, it's a really impressive visual movie. Like the feeling of like dank, mm-hmm. mildewy, like decay that infuses that movie sure. is, um, is fantastic. And a lot of that is borrowed from, you know, uh, Hideo Nakata original so yeah 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 um looking forward to the fly someday too because that was i know you and i don't have the same level of appreciation for that movie because like i think i love that movie but um at least i did as a kid but i don't know what it is like i've watched that movie we were still going to the bar so it must have been over two years ago but you and i talked about it one night at the bar and it made me watch it again and it's just there's something there that never quite like clicks with me a hundred percent. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen it since 1989, so I have no idea how I feel about it today. But um, <clears throat> but uh, I think it was my first body horror, honestly. Now that I think about it, like because I saw that movie like when it came out on VHS, so that would have been probably like 87. So I um, but I watched that movie a lot because it was on like something like HBO or Cinemax a lot around that time. So and as a big was- gold blue fan. <laughs> I wonder what my first body horror movie was. The Incredible Melting Man, maybe? Hmm. That's possible. Hmm. I saw that movie when I was like six. I've never so. seen that movie. Yeah, it's good. How old's that? Like 54? Seven, 70s, I think. Oh, really? Okay. I believe so, yeah. Um. <clears throat> All right. So let's go ahead and get started. So speaking of the 1950s, um, the first movie on your list, number five, is 1988's The Blob. is directed by Chuck Russell. It stars Shawnee Smith, Kevin Dillon, Donovan Leach Jr., and Ricky Paul Golden. It has a 62% from critics and a 56% from audiences. This, I think, is the only one that I have never seen the original of. So, um... You want to tell so us the, about this movie? Yeah, like a little bit, since I just uh, informed me, like how this maybe differs from the original in terms of just the... Uh, it's 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 pretty spot on. I mean, they, yeah. they changed some things. So the original is a classic Steve McQueen movie, um, but very much a product of its time in the mid-50s, I think, is the original. Or 58, maybe something late, late 50s. Um, very much held back by you know the limitations of special effects of the time so you've got basically the same plot transposed into the 1980s middle america um i'm i would imagine that most people are familiar with the plot of the blob but basically there's a meteorite crashes um in this podunk town uh this vagrant finds it and the substance oozes out and covers his hand which causes him extreme pain this group of like ne'er-do-well kids finds the guy and takes him to the hospital um, where he gets eaten by this thing, this like gelatinous mass. Um, it then proceeds to kill one of the friends, the group, of, one of the friends out of the group of friends and then escape. So these kids are, you know, trying to get the police to believe them that there's this thing that's like killing people. Nobody buys it. But then in a diner 
um one of my favorite scenes in the movie is uh the cook or dishwasher or whatever gets sucked through the um uh grease trap i guess or whatever in the mm-hmm. sink by the blob um it then kills some more people and again like flees um they finally convince some people that there's a thing but then there's a military presence in town suddenly um to contain the blob um the girl uh girl the female lead her younger brother and his friend have disappeared so they're trying to find him and they're in the theater where another one of my favorite scenes the blob comes like oozing over the um projection projection house window Mm-hmm. Um, and is like projected onto the screen and like these like multitude of like dripping running colors. It was a really, really great visual scene. Um, there's all these efforts made to try and contain and kill the blob. Um, you eventually find out that the blob is not an alien creature, that it's the product of Cold War experimentation um, and was blasted into space because it was too dangerous, but now it's like falling back to Earth. So there's this group of military and the scientists that are trying to uh, recapture and contain it um, at the risk of like killing townsfolk. Um, there's this crazy preacher who tries to burn the blob with flame because um, he's saying that it's like a sign of the end times, but it causes him to catch on fire and disfigures him. Uh, eventually what they find out is that the blob is um, hurt by cold uh, when they're trying to put the preacher out with a fire extinguisher and the fire extinguisher hits the blob and it retreats. So there's this big convoluted thing where they have like a snow machine and um, they're trying to freeze the blob and eventually uh, they do so and they, it crystallizes and shatters. And so they keep it like locked in a cold storage so it can never come back. Um, But my favorite one of another one of my, the things I love about this movie is the last scene is the preacher. Um, preaching an end time sermon and in a little glass jar next to him he has like a single piece of the blob that's uh uh, wasn't frozen that still is like moving around and that's the end you know like i guess implying that eventually the thing will get out again and you know through this crazy it's actually kind of a shame that there was never a sequel made with that specific plot because i think that's a really cool plot like Mm -hmm. the idea of Mm -hmm. this dude that's got like basically this unhinged like ultra religious fanatic that has this weapon of like universal destruction like contained in a a small glass jar and you know eventually what happens with that but um it's a fun movie it's very much a product of its time i think in the sense that um it feels like an 80s movie in terms of the way the just the way that it's acted and shot um and that's no dig on the movie at all because i think that it's a really enjoyable movie to watch um but definitely like the least visually impressive movie here in terms of like the direction and the cinematography or whatever. Um, I love the blob. I think the blob is one of the more underrated um, horror creatures uh, and one that kind of is not really ever had like a proper revival after this. I mean, you have other movies that kind of have a similar feel to them, but you've never had like a true, you know 21st century like blob remake which i would love to see because um, i love the blob and i think that you could do it like amazing now with a combination of practical effects and digital effects i think it would be fantastic um 
But yeah, there's not a whole lot of like actual criticism of, for me to give to this movie or like insightful whatever. Um, it reminds me in some ways of a movie that you and I both like a lot, which is the third um, Return of the Living Dead movie. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Just in terms of the main characters and the fact that a lot of it takes place in like the sewer and right. um, kind of the way that it's shot. Like it's got that very... If you've watched enough 80s horror movies, you know, like, the blue light filtering in through a great, like, mm-hmm. lighting effect, um, where it's obvious that it's on a set and they're just, like, have giant, you know, whatever, incandescent bulbs with, like, blue filters, like, outside, like, beaming light in so they can have proper lighting. But there's something that I really enjoy about that aesthetic, and it's it's a very, very much, like, a huge nostalgia choice for me because I love this movie as a kid. Um, I saw this movie pretty shortly after it was released on uh, VHS and I'm sure I had to have rented it like four or five times over the course of my uh, late childhood, early teenage years. Um, And it was on channel 54, like all the time too, uh, the Mm -hmm. Saturday morning, like horror matinee. Um, So I'm curious because you said you'd never seen it before. Like, what did you think of it the first time watching it? So I've never seen the original blob. I am not interested in blob-like creatures whatsoever. They do nothing for me uh, at all. But I thought this was a fun ride. I thought it was better than it had any right to be. But that's my own bias of not really being into like blob-like things. Um, like I like the stuff because like of like the commentary and the comedy and stuff like that, and and I thought the acting at times was funny for a B movie, and but I I, I like this, and I was wondering like like who is this guy Chuck Russell? Um, and and I realized that um when I started like looking things up about the movie and who who made it, I realized that Chuck Russell is um basically like one of my favorite directors maybe like for fun movies of the 80s because i'm a big fan of dreamscape the dennis quaid max von Sydow movie uh from 84 and then he did nightmare on elm street 3 um and then he did this so the best nightmare on elm street yes let's, oh, absolutely let's yeah. qualify that 100 <laughs> percent. right and um and he wrote and, and and he co-wrote this with uh, Frank Darabont, um, who also co-wrote Dream Warriors. So it it yeah, it makes a lot of sense um, of why I um why I like the style of this, why I like the pacing, why I like you know the the comedic bits that are there and stuff like that. So yeah, it was just a really fun ride. Again, it's nothing spectacular. It's nothing like you know right. you're it's going to be able to sit here and analyze or anything like that, like necessarily um too deeply. But yeah, it's just a fun 80s ride, uh, which um sometimes those so, things great on me and sometimes they don't. But I I've really enjoyed this a lot. Like as a throw let me let me give a very short pitch for blob like monsters. Okay. Okay sell me i think that there's so again this isn't necessarily your bag but i'm a huge fan of like the the lovecraftian mythos of creatures Mm. which is the unknowable unimaginable shape to human comprehension this thing that has an intelligence that exists outside of like anything we can comprehend and has the ability to annihilate you and doesn't care about your humanity 
And I think that that's like one of the more horrifying concepts, just like theoretically in horror, is the idea that because you know Jason or Freddy or whatever. I mean, even with Jason, even though there's no real like motivation beyond just like some blanket revenge idea, mm-hmm. there still is a humanity to Jason. You know what I mean? Like it's a right. human form. It's a shape that you recognize. It. You know he can get like cut and shot and trapped and whatever vampires werewolves all of that stuff has like some innate connection to humanity in the sense of like how the things think or how they behave like creatures like the blob that are just a completely alien mind is pretty horrifying i think and from a just like a cosmic scale of this idea that there's these things that exist that want nothing but to destroy you and are unreasonable and have no ability to like communicate on like a human level. I think that's, um, I don't know. I always find that idea to be terrifying. And I think the blob is a really good Lovecraftian monster um, set in like a very recognizable setting. Like it's not some like alien world or the bottom of the ocean or, you know, some crazy, creepy fish town in New England. Like, this is, the blob is just, like, middle America. It's, like, a small town. And it's this creature that, you know, just lives to destroy. And I I think I I need something more sentience or something like that. I don't, I I don't know what the answer is here. But, like, I, there's something about, like, the lack of, like, almost, like, intelligence or something that, like, even though, obviously, it has a, mechanism the goal that it's trying to fulfill like i i don't know i don't know what it is maybe it needs form i have i have no idea like i i can get behind monsters and stuff like that and creature features but um the blob's like just a blob it's like like how we use it like it's like uh, generically to just like refer to like something that like doesn't like it's just just blah blah blah. it's because it's because your small brain can't comprehend the enormity of the horror of the blob that's why so that's know. fine i mean i, I look I, I lack imagination to some degree with 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 a lot of things so um like yeah. you hate you hate like <clears throat> insects and yes like Thank here's you. this thing that I'm also can get of in, insects though that can get in through any crevice like any small crack can come in <clears throat> and just dissolve away pieces of your body and there's no way that you can like get away from it or stop it I just can't yeah i, I, I mean, just I can't take it too seriously i don't know what it is eh. it's like you know it's like i'm scared of the insect you know and therefore i hate it and like i'm not scared of like the like the blob is just like i'm not scared of a piece of fucking gum on the floor like that's basically to me Ain't like, no piece of gum <laughs> see min- minimizing the blob it's gonna minimize you it wasn't an intentional minimalization. It's just like mm. that's that's. I'm just trying to give you an example of like how oh. I, I think of it. That gum can't dissolve your flesh. I mean, presumably, probably shouldn't chew it if it can. <laughs> but no, whatever. This is a fun movie, regardless of how I feel about blob-like creatures. Weird, 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 you, weird, you know, weird hill that you're trying to like. <laughs> You're trying you know, to go at me on here. You, you know what else is funny about that is you really like the stuff too. I I you were you just listening to me five minutes ago, where no. I said that yeah exactly. 
See, this is what happens, Frank. You don't listen to me. Um, <laughs> where I said like why I like the stuff. Um, uh, I'm just I'm just throwing I, facts back in your face. I, I like the comedy of it. I said, if you need me to repeat myself, and um, I like the social commentary of it, and it, and I like the kind of like cheesiness of a lot of it. So like it was enjoyable in that respect to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like cheese too. So. Cheese, it might as well it might as well be fucking cheese. Like so these strange cheese trying to you'd kill be, you. You'd be right? scared then. <laughs> like, ah, I'm gonna intolerate your right. lactose, Bob. <laughs> Some fondue coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh. I did get some cheddar on something the other week, um, accidentally nice. because um somebody didn't listen and um and, and i was fine so um maybe it's getting better after all these years all right uh number four on your list is 2002's the ring it is directed by gore verbinski it stars naomi watts martin henderson david dorfman and brian cox it has a 71 percent from critics and a 48 percent from audiences wow really yeah um that's that's got to be some fucking it's really interesting, dude. Like, I'll just tell you now, since you reacted to it, I, I dug through the audience reviews of it, and it doesn't make a lot of sense because it was really hard to find negative criticism among the audience reviews for me. It must have gotten review bombed at some point for some reason. Maybe. Like, I mean, people, there, there's horror fans in the know that kind of rate it lower because it's not the original and they prefer the original more but but i mean even then it's like a three-star review or something like that it's really weird that like it has a lower score but yet i don't really find a lot of extremely negative reviews like it was weird um so yeah i think you're right i think it got review bombed at some point maybe but um yeah so want to talk a little bit about like uh this uh remake and um the original i guess so really like the genesis point of j horror is the original ring i mean that's the thing that like propelled japanese horror into i guess an international spotlight um a very reserved calculating movie um that is more about the dread of the inevitable rather than like jump scares um the american remake is not that at all the american remake is very much about its i wouldn't call it bombastic but it's definitely more of an aggressive horror movie um including giving much more specific detail about the uh, the origins of the the girl in the well um which is Sadako in uh, the original ring and then Samara in the American remake. Um, So the general story is that there's a young girl who is uh, with her friend um, and talking about this cursed, this legend of this cursed video, where if you watch it, a woman appears on, on screen or calls you on the phone or appears on screen and says, you will die in seven days. And then seven days later, she comes and kills you. Um, so there's, honestly, it's, I, I think, more effective in the American version, the opening scene with the two girls who are home alone, like, scaring each other with these stories. 
<clears throat> only to have the stories come true and not show you what the thing is just you know you just find out that she dies later um naomi watts plays an investigative reporter who's researching urban legends um who finds out that her niece has died and when she goes to the house um the friend of the niece or the niece had been found in a closet um really great jump scare where they cut to like a quick shot of the girl with her mouth agape and eyes rolled back and um looking like she's been submerged in water for you know like weeks um and it drove the friend insane from seeing the girl like that um so naomi watts starts to investigate she finds out about this tape um she goes to a cabin that the the niece and her friends had rented um in the washington um mountains i guess whatever the woods of washington state um which actually i think is another really interesting thing because there's whenever you hear about like sister cities or whatever there's a lot of comparison between places like seattle and like whatever like tokyo or okinawa or whatever um and in terms of the climate and the general um terrain of what the washington area in japan um so i think it was really smart to set it there because you still get some of that same feeling in terms of the setting um so she finds the tape she watches it um really amazing i, I actually again i think the american ring tape is actually better produced than the one that's in the japanese version mm -hmm. um number one because the japanese version relies on you being able to read kanji which kind of takes away some of the uh some of the impact of it when you're watching it from an american perspective um whereas the american is the american videotape is much more like just viscerally shocking in terms of the images and it has like a really good like creepy feeling to it um so she starts to research it uh she gets the phone call after she watches it um with the seven days warning um and she starts to find things are happening to her um so she takes it to her ex-boyfriend or husband's house they have a kid together um, honestly the weakest part of the movie in my opinion is uh what's that kid's name dorfman or something yeah um just because it's played way too he's so like wet-eyed serious that you almost can't take him seriously like it's just yeah he's a goober and ridiculous I don't like saying that about a kid actor but it's 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 not a good not yeah it's not a great performance yeah. it's much better with the toshiro or whatever the kid and um yeah the original ring who's just um so anyway so they find out that the way that the ring um is transmitted is through showing it to someone else and the way that you can stop yourself from getting killed is by making a copy of the tape and showing it to another person um so the reason that naomi watts is like saved and I'm skipping over a lot of things, but we'll talk about those when we do the comparison. The way that Naomi Watt is saved is because she showed it to her boyfriend. Um, so they do all this Scooby-Doo investigation and they find out that um, the tape originally came from this girl, Samara, who um, this family who had lived in Washington and adopted this young girl and um, she had these psychic powers and she had been tested for psychic powers and at one point her mother had i guess in an effort to kind of try and stop her from hurting people because that's what she was doing 
they had pushed her into a well where she had perished. Um, so they go and find that the well is actually underneath the cabin where the original tape was found, um, which again, is another cool callback to the original movie and the idea that like this evil power can like basically burn itself almost like magnetically onto tapes that like, can record itself um, that she has like that's I mean that's more I think discussed in the original but um, still implied well I guess they do say it sort of um, so they think by getting Samara's body out of the, the well and burying her that they'll put her spirit to rest and they'll break the curse but um really the only good line that the kid utters in the whole movie is like oh no mommy like you let her out like you weren't supposed to let her out like you dumb you dumbass like you were right. supposed to keep her you keep her in the well and it was like asshole like you could have said that you know 40 minutes ago and like they wouldn't have had to go into friggin i don't know right like oyster country to um watch what's his name kill himself with a bunch of tvs um so then the iconic scene in the movie and like one of the more iconic scenes in horror, I think over the past 30 years is uh boyfriend is in his studio and TV comes on and he turns around and there's the well and then there's Samara like, you know, hair over her face, torn, tattered, like nightdress, like, you know, herky jerky, like stutter stepping towards the screen and then coming out of the screen and crawling across the floor um you know fingernails ripped from trying to claw her way out of the well and just right. like standing up in the eye um and him dying from the shock of uh you know basically like her psychic force um which is the you know the explained reason um so yeah so and then the end is the idea that they're gonna the kid who's also watched the video <laughs> is gonna go see um her father i guess and like have show him the recording so he can be safe too um i know there's a so i think there's a lot of unfair criticism from horror nerds about this movie just because it's so different than the original in terms of the tone and the pacing and even a lot of the story um you know there's much more actual it's not just like play in the brine goblins be thine or whatever which is the thing in the original ring right um again there's a lot of things that like you really have to read about like japanese culture and folklore um to kind of understand not understand because that sounds pretentious but i think to really appreciate the nuance of the original ring whereas the american ring they're telling you everything from the you know during the movie um so that you understand the horror of it with the characters it's like kind of like bringing you along with them especially the first time you see it if you don't know how it ends it's you know it's it's, it's pretty impactful i think mm -hmm. um i think naomi watts is really good in this movie like i like her a lot yes um i think that the visual aesthetic of samara is i think i think it's more effective in the japanese version with sadako because she's such like just like a shadowy shadowy figure on the outside of like just on the corner of your vision kind of is the way that they mm. they sort of show her even in like the old like archival film footage like she's just this brief glimpse of her off to the side like staring at the camera or this brief glimpse of her in a photograph which i honestly think makes it a more effective 
in terms of her like mystique. Um, I think I I really think like the American version trumps the original with again that opening scene. I think is much more effective in the American mm-hmm. version. I, like maybe the best like segment of film in the movie, and I think the production on the haunted videotape is just fantastic in the American version. Like I think the the very almost like um Hieronymus Bosch or uh who's the other asshole that painted a bunch of um like hell shit like Goya maybe or Goya, something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um you know the look of that like the bodies writhing in the mm-hmm. the lake and then uh the mother like staring in the mirror and then the brief glimpse of like Samara in the back. Um I think the only place where it really falls short is again it's like it maybe doesn't allow enough of your imagination to take over in terms of like who this this being is like the fact that you see the video of her you know being interviewed and being tortured or not tortured but like getting like est or whatever and her causing things to happen it it just like assigning a human face to it instead of it just being like kind of this mysterious force it maybe kind of lessens that impact a little bit Mm-hmm. and then um well i mean this does take a slightly different take with it though is more of an to me it focuses much more on the investigation mystery aspect than the original does um but maybe that's just the way i see it because i find this to be less terrifying than the original or like horrifying <clears throat> i like the look of the movie the first movie much better than this movie like i'm it's been a talking point for us for 20 years now right literally 20 years two, like, of two blue yeah yeah two two blue and it's and it's actually like a bluish green i've realized now um i've read into it some like and it's like it's supposed to cause like kind of like a tenseness or a nausea mm-hmm. kind of like to it makes I you just, uncomfortable yeah i just don't like it i it doesn't make me uncomfortable it just makes me annoyed but um so i like the look of the original better but i do like the pacing of this better yeah but i think it's because I think they're going more full bore into the investigative aspect of like, you know, cause I really like all the Brian, the stuff on the Island with Brian Cox, Brian and, Cox right? yeah, it's really you know, cool. and like the guy and the ex-boyfriend, ex-husband, baby daddy going to the, um, you know, institution stuff like that. And all those kind of things. Like I, I really like that stuff a lot. And I think the pacing is a lot better. Um, it's hard for me to judge sometimes acting, but I really like the acting in this. But I, I, I thought that everything except for look, I think I, I like better about this movie, honestly. Yeah, to me, they're two different movies almost yeah. entirely. Like, even though it's... So, just as some, some backstory as well, um, there's a whole there's a whole nother series of films that run concurrent to Ringu in Japan. Um, the Spiral movies, which are also based on the same uh, novel, Koji. Oh, I can't remember his name. Koji something. Um, where it's much more clinical that the ring is a virus that's transmitted, you know, through the the visual transmission happens, but that it's a virus, and it's just interesting the different takes on this movie. And I think that it sells the American ring, the Verbinski version, short by saying that people that say, well, you know, it's not as good as the original. Because, again, it's just a different movie. It's a different take on the story. It's like, 
right you know you can tell dracula's story in a number of different ways and they can still be good because there's something universal about that idea i mean it's it's very much a product of the late 90s in the sense of the vhs and the copying the tape and the transmission of it and um i don't know if it would be more difficult or less difficult it would be interesting to set this movie in the modern day and to do it from like a social media perspective almost um which i think there actually is a sequel that that does that rings maybe yeah Mm. um but yeah there it's just i love urban legends i love the embracing of the urban legend here um in terms of you know that there was word of mouth it's like um fuck what was that movie did did you watch did i tell you to watch a movie or maybe you told me to watch the movie about the guy who fuck what is it called what's the plot so there's this woman whose daughter is really into like it starts out with people in the himalayas and this guy hears this like whistling from far away and he falls into this like himalayan tomb and becomes transfixed by this like knitted together skeleton statue in the corner and then it cuts to like america and there's this girl that's like obsessed with the idea of this thing the the empty man the empty man yeah it's on hbo yeah yeah so very i I totally right yes okay go ahead yeah which is a flawed movie but there's some really great elements to it especially in the urban legend portion of it Mm -hmm. and i love that like i love a movie that takes the idea of like Candyman is another great example that takes Mm -hmm. the idea of the urban legend seriously and builds its own like universe out of this urban legend that is believable but familiar you know what i mean like it's it's alien enough because of the idea of this thing but like all of us have heard like urban legends and we have plenty in just in our area alone of urban legends that you know at various times in your childhood like you believed or you at least like believed in the possibility of them existing right and i really like movies that have the ability to create that same fabric and there's a lot of urban legends in japan that are very alien to us here um because they're again based out of like like the idea of like the yokai and the oni or whatever you know these creatures that are um either malevolent or helpful like spirits that kind of just live like all around um and the translation of that into the modern era whereas ours are more based are more cautionary tales based on the things that might you know trying to scare kids away from doing like bad things by giving an extreme example and i think the ring is a really good combination of those things where it's got this almost like spiritual mysticism to the urban legend but also a very concrete you know anchor point in terms of like you have to copy the vhs you're watching the tape this is a blank tape that just shows up and like you put it in and then all of a sudden or you tune to a certain channel at a certain time of night you know what i mean like those kind of things have like something that all of us have done like popped in a vhs with well i mean maybe not anymore but like our generation sure you know popped in a vhs with no writing on the spine or like flipping through channels you know at one o'clock in the morning when everything's gone to static and like trying to find something to watch i mean all those things yeah i mean and and that's still a really popular idea because you have all those arg series on youtube and stuff like that and or through social media platforms 
that so many of them are using old technology like that and um making things look like it's from the 80s like it's old vhs kind of copied yeah videos um from local network television and um and those things are really popular and have a large cult following on youtube um to the point where there's a whole industry on youtube that are that's designed just to make videos summarizing those things and um yeah i I still think the idea of it is extremely popular like with with that stuff um it's interesting about the social media thing though wouldn't a social media like a ring idea through social media wouldn't that turn into pulse or phantasm 2 or something where it would almost be armageddon i think pulse is probably the better example because i mean pulse is that idea just made you know because it's through the television it's kind of like the electricity right like talk about another terrible horror remake the fucking american pulse remake is so bad it's so bad yeah it really is one of the worst like i tried to watch that movie again a couple months ago so fucking awful i was so mad like 15 minutes in and i love cairo like so much the original pulse is one Mm -hmm. of my favorite horror movies maybe ever um completely off topic so yeah but anyway i I think that if you're a fan of horror, I think you owe it to yourself to watch both versions of this movie. Mm-hmm. And honestly, find something like Shutter or Arrow or whatever and watch a couple of the other original um, takes on the Sadako Samara um, character legend. And Sadako in, or Sadako, I'm saying it wrong, Sadako in Japan is like a huge cultural icon. I mean, there's toys and video games and the idea of that character appears in so many other ways and so much has been ripped off about the not that the um the the woman with the long black hair in front of her face is unique to the ring i mean because you know i think visually it comes from quite on maybe and then it's an urban legend like that that ghost or whatever but just um so hugely influential and really done well i think um in this version too you know who should have been you know how that kid should have been played is uh oh what's that kid's name jonathan libnicki no <laughs> from from like jerry Maguire, like uh-huh the human yeah. head weighs eight pounds yeah, you're gonna right. die in seven days <laughs> that would be funny uh no um jeremy blackman um he doesn't act anymore i don't think but uh the kid from um, magnolia oh yeah 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 that's how it should have been done yeah that you know so this is completely off topic but that's a really good point and that performance is super underrated that kid yes. because that's very much a throwback like 80s kid performance to me like a kid that's not being played like a kid you know like it's not just some like whiny well right it's not a um nasally he's not precious right whatsoever and he's not weird yeah i just can't stand that kid's wet ass eyes and his fucking bowl cut like it's just terrible i don't care because he's an adult now so fuck him like it's terrible watching that kid in this movie that's the one bad part about this movie is having to look at that fucking bald creature for two hours um (laughs) Oh. 
that's the best we're going to get out of that movie. Um, <laughs> Frank, Frank attacking a kid. Um, all right. He's not a kid anymore. I'm attacking her performance. Uh, right. Don't, don't, don't be in the biz if you can't take it when you're like yeah. 10, 10 years old. Because we're in the biz. Um, dishing it <laughs> to children. <laughs> so, Jesus. Like now we're going to be on a list somewhere. Um, QAnon's going to come after us by misinterpreting oh. that statement. All right. Uh, Number three on your list is 2013's Evil Dead, directed by Fede Alvarez. It stars Jane Levy, Shiloh Fernandez, Lou Taylor Pucci, Jessica Lucas, and Elizabeth Blackmore. It has a 63% from both critics and audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about this remake? And um... So i actually thought about this over the past because this is the one that i watched most recently i watched this last night actually um i don't know if i feel like it's as much a remake as it is like a reimagining kind of sure and i believe still taking place within the same universe as the original evil dead movies and they've actually since confirmed that um, okay by sequels that are going to be made in the eventuality of bringing the main character from this movie to maybe somehow interact with um some other evil dead franchise as part of a reboot mm. um so really more of a combination of evil dead one and evil dead two reimagined in a much more serious tone um follows a group of attractive 20-somethings who are sequestering in a family cabin in the woods um, to provide detox for the younger sister or one of the main characters who's a heroin addict. So they're in this cabin. Um, she's already got everyone on edge because of the detox. And they find in the basement there's a bunch of animal corpses that have been hung from the ceiling and desiccated and then this book that's wrapped in um, trash bags and barbed wire and obviously not meant to be open. Uh, so, of course, one of the idiots opens the book and reads passages from it, which releases this demonic force that possesses um, the heroin addict woman. Uh, so there's this plausible deniability of everything since she's just withdrawing when she starts to act insane. Um and then everything just goes to shit. I mean, uh, the girlfriend of the guy that unleashed the evil gets infected with the evil or gets possessed and cuts her face off and then stabs him with a needle, which is one of those uncomfortable scenes in the movie is that fucking needle breaking off underneath his eye and him pulling the point out. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. uh, every time. Um, so he has to kill her. And then the girlfriend of the main character becomes infected and they have to kill him, her. Um, and then they're trying to fight the demon off and um, the guy can't, the main character can't bring himself to kill his sister. So he tries to save her, which he eventually does by burying her and then like digging her up and um, jump starting her heart. But then the other dude gets possessed and 
the boyfriend and that dude are in the cabin that's doused with gasoline. So, or not boyfriend, the main character, the brother, you know, lights the cabin on fire and then it starts raining blood and the heroin addict has to fight the evil demon version of herself. And um, it's a pretty crazy movie. Like there's a lot of very, very graphic, very visceral injury and death scenes in this movie. Um, and it doesn't pull any punches and it definitely, it, it's a very loving, but different ode to the original movie. Um, even including the scene where the tree rapes the girl, um, is how they kind of like introduce the idea of her being possessed, but they don't do it in a creepy, like rapey way. Um, it's much more of, uh, there's nothing titillating about it. Like the original, I think, was trying to titillate you a little bit with that. This one is just horrifying and it's obviously, you know, forcible entry by this demonic force. Um, it's also more because, and I, I know that this is like an obvious point, but because they set it against the idea of a detox or, a, you know, making this girl go cold turkey from heroin. Um, it becomes much more of a, a parable for addiction and how addiction like destroys everyone around you and takes pieces of yourself and like, you know, and basically makes you a different person. Um, still with the chainsaw, still with the shotgun, you know, there still is a lot of like visual odes to the original Evil Dead, but this movie is 100% just like a flat out graphic, you know, balls to the wall horror movie in a lot of ways um including what i think is a great opening scene of a father having to light his daughter on fire and blow her head off mm -hmm. in order to save her soul from possession um cold open in that respect and just really powerful really well done um i thought after i saw this movie for the first time and i probably saw evil dead in like a year after it came out i didn't see it in the theater but i watched it like basically as soon as it was available to stream um i thought fetty alvarez was going to become like just that guy when it came to horror movies like this was you know this is pre-hereditary pre-the witch you know it follows and babadook were out around here but this is like the movie where when you see it you think oh my god like this guy is going to be amazing like Fred at making horror movies and he really hasn't been like he's kind of a disappointment in a lot of ways um and especially the produced he produced that new texas chainsaw yeah um on netflix and that movie is just absolute trash so i've never watched his i can't remember which one it is it's not the girl who kicked the hornet's nest it's something the girl in the spider's web there you go the the third one of the um millennial yeah uh whatever that is did um ha, now i've never watched these movies but uh, the girl with the uh, dragon tattoo sorry yeah yeah uh don't breathe do you don't breathe is a good movie um don't breathe okay so don't breathe is very well done and has a lot of tension to it um but it's just it's good but it's not this level good like this movie is and maybe because Don't Breathe is an original, I don't know, like IP or whatever. 
the Evil Dead, this Evil Dead reboot or whatever is it perfectly captures the tone, not not tone, it perfectly captures the mythology of the original Evil Dead franchise while making it a completely separate thing. Right. Like it takes this idea that's actually kind of horrifying in the sense that there's this book that contains all the evil in the world and when you read from it, like it can possess you and then these things just want to kill, like they just want to end human life on earth. Um, it takes that idea and it makes it much more, I think it like, I don't know if upping the stakes is the right way to put it because obviously there's a lot of blood and death, but it completely like takes the humor out of it. So it makes it feel so unsafe to watch. And especially because like, he doesn't pull any punches visually when it comes to showing like people sawing their arms off or getting stabbed or getting no, cut or getting shot and the nail gun thing is super mm-hmm. difficult to watch and yeah. the thing about it is and what i love about this movie so much is that i am not a fan anymore of like really graphic torture horror mm-hmm. or where someone is like being you know we talked about that atroce movie that i couldn't watch during the um when you tried the, the torture porn week or whatever mm-hmm. i can't watch those movies like i have no interest in them but there's something so compelling about the way that Alvarez films the narrative here that, like, it's okay to me. Like, I'm... Well, because it's not trying... It's, right, it's, so, it's... so just to pull back just one minute into what you were saying, I it's funny because Evil Dead 2, I think, is largely considered to be a more comedic version than Evil Dead, the, the original Evil Dead, where Evil Dead is the more serious horror of the two. But it's like, and we watched that, what, like three years ago, I guess, and talked about it. And I was like really shocked, having not seen it in a long time, like how well the original Evil Dead held up um, from a filmmaking standpoint and just from, I think, being a really good horror movie. But until you watch this movie, you don't realize like how comedic and a little cartoonish that original really is Um, until you see how just downright fucking brutal this movie goes about things and just pulls no punches with its um violence and i think the difference of what you're describing there is about torture porn in this is because it's not that you like these characters necessarily it's it's like like these characters aren't like the smartest people in the world just like most people in horror movies are pretty dumb most of the time actually but like it's it's not even that you sympathize with them it's not that they're well-drawn characters or anything like that necessarily i think the difference is 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 you're right i think it's the way that alvarez films it to where it's like he's focusing on you at least sympathizing with the characters in the horror of the situation of whatever is happening at the time as opposed to trying to titillate you or like make it about you reacting in some shocked way that most torture porn tries to get across and i think that if you even if you don't sympathize with the character you sympathize with the situation in the way that he films it um unlike most of these like really kind of like brutal violent movies right and i'm okay with like brutal brutal violence if it's in deference to the narrative of the movie and not just there to make you talk about it or shock you the only thing i don't like about this movie the only real complaint I have is that the pretense of this guy just like 
opening this book and reading from it for no reason, even though he's supposed to be like whatever a, right. a history major in college or what the fuck ever. Yeah. Makes no sense. It's like we got to have this happen somehow, so he'll just do it. Like, that's the only time where I feel a little let down by this movie and why this isn't higher on this list. Because visually, I think this movie is amazing. Um, especially in the way that it films the demons. I think it does a really great job of taking, like, a familiar idea of how to film the deadites, you know, as they're called in the Evil Dead universe or whatever, and just making them wholly their own thing in this movie. Like, they mm-hmm. feel slimy and they, they they feel like possessed husks kind of right. which is when they turn back into human it makes it all the more you know effective in terms of the film um but they just feel like writhing masses of evil basically when you're watching them like they don't feel human they feel monstrous and it's really it's a really good look like i um very impressed by the visual uh, yeah yeah, so you have not seen any of the Don't Breathe movies or either of the Don't Breathe movies? I have not seen either, no. You should do yourself a favor and watch Don't Breathe. I mean, it's good. You'll enjoy yeah. it. I didn't feel like the plot of Don't Breathe 2 made any sense to me necessarily, so I didn't really care to watch it. Um, but I enjoyed that first movie. I have not seen... I have not seen Don't Breathe. I have not seen Bird, Bird Box. Um... And I have not seen the Krasinski movie. Well, whatever that's called. I mean, um, Don't Breathe is a completely different premise than Bird Box. And the, but it, um, it makes me think the same thing. That's a, it's a, based off fuck. the title alone. I have I have um, avoided that movie because I thought it was the exact same thing as um, as those like the con, con conceptually. I thought it was the same thing, like in the sense of like you gotta hold your breath or some shit like so the fucking monsters don't find you or something um i know nothing about that series at all the only monster in don't breathe is man oh okay um i do i do know stephen lang's in it though and uh the little roles that i've seen him in which he's appeared on a couple times in the podcast i I really like him but Oh, a fucking quiet place. God damn it. That's a, when you yeah. when you, you you drove it out of my head when you said bird box. Mm. Um but no, this is a this is a really hard movie to watch if you're not I think if you're not used to like kind of like this kind of level of violence. Yes. It's a and, hard movie to watch. And so be be warned violence that the camera doesn't shy away from like the camera is going to show you the beauty of something like texas chainsaw is that the camera is always pulling away a a second before Mm -hmm. the actual act is performed but it does it in such a way that it makes you think you're seeing it Mm -hmm. this movie maybe waits two seconds too long every single time Right. So that you have to watch a man get nails shot through his arm and hand and try and pull them out. Yes. In a close up, and it's really friggin' effective. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes, absolutely. Um I actually I enjoy this movie a little more than 
I love the Evil Dead movies the for all three of the first ones and some of my favorite movies growing up. But there's something about this remake that I just find a little more satisfying as a total narrative than I do um, Evil Dead Two in particular. Impossible to compare to Army of Darkness because they're you know such different movies. But sure, sure. Um, and technically, I guess this has a sequel coming out. Maybe. Yeah. Evil Dead Rise, Rise, Rise of the Evil. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like Thank that. you. Yeah. Um. There's another one too that's being made that's uh, an army of darkness enough. sequel, oh, I think. Oh, really? Huh. That's what the talk is. Hmm. So they're trying to build a universe out of this. They already have a universe with Ash versus Evil Dead. This got canceled. I mean, because it was so. Still, all takes place in the same universe. Sure, oh, absolutely. It. Oh, I. I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was enjoyable. Um, Brandy and I watched it. But I never watched it. It's not your thing. I don't Television. Know. Right. Um, maybe, maybe you actually like watch Better Call Saul this weekend. Or I already forgot. So maybe. No, no, I got movies to watch tomorrow. I don't know if I can. I, I got a busy weekend, buddy. We'll we'll see if I can squeeze it in. All right. Um, I gotta watch. I gotta watch the Spin Sugar movie and uh, Fresh Five movie tomorrow. Mm. I've already got it blocked off in my head. Like I'm gonna watch those two movies. I'm so excited. You mean a potential Fresh Five movie? I guess is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's gonna make it though. Gotcha. Okay. Unless unless it's fucking terrible. Like I've been looking forward to this movie for like two years. So okay. I haven't even talked to you about it, but. I want to spring it on you. That doesn't sound pleasant, but um, yeah. all right. So, so hang out with the kid from the ring. <laughs> number two on your list is 2018 Suspiria, directed by Luca Guadagnino. Uh, it stars Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton, Mia Goth, Angela Winkler, Chloe. Gl- Grace Morantz and um, oh, what is, what is the damn name that um, they say for um, her? Lutz Ebersdorf, um, which uh, supposedly plays Doctor Doctor uh, Josef Klemper, um, but it's it's Tilda Swinton under makeup. Um, but they try to credit it differently as if it's not her. Why are you spoiling shit? What? I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um. So yeah, this is this is the I think this is the the most interesting one out of the entire list in a lot of ways. But um, go ahead and let us know what you think about like this and compared to the original a little bit. So this is definitely the biggest departure, I think, in general from the original film. Um, even though Evil Dead is like a like a tonal like sea change it's still the same basic story this is has vestiges of that same story but is a much more complex and interesting um narrative i think uh so the original we've talked about before um 77 right so superior yes um somewhere around there uh dario argento horror uh classic Um, involving a young American girl who goes to Florence, I think is where Suspiria takes place, or somewhere, uh, Naples maybe, um, to join a dance school and runs afoul of a coven of witches, um, led by one of the mythical three mothers, 
uh, Mother's Suspirium. <clears throat> so this movie is about a young girl who is pursuing her love of dance, who's leaving a uh, very cloistered, very sheltered, um, ultra-Christian existence in the American Midwest to go to Germany in the mid-70s, mid to late-70s, um, to join this prestigious dance troupe that she snuck to um, New York to see. Um, she's a prodigy, uh, like one of the best natural dancers, you know, that anyone's ever seen. Immediately catches the eye of Tilda Swinton, who's the dance master, I guess, of the Academy. Um, and then is sort of drawn into this web of witchcraft where she's shown her power, um, shown what she can do, and ultimately marked for death by the uh, Mother Suspirium in this movie who wants to, I guess, use her body to remain young to kind of like achieve eternal life. Um, but ultimately you find out that she is the i don't know if they ever say reincarnation but she's the incarnation of mother suspirium um and just ends up like fucking dismembering you know the majority of this coven of people that didn't support um that basically supported the fake mother suspirium over her uh set against the backdrop too of the um I'm going to get this wrong. Biner, Biner Madoff. Is that right? Did I say that right? I don't, I, I didn't look that up. Hostage crisis in Berlin in 77. So there's, you're putting it in kind of like the, sort of like the heyday of the cold war. So this is a divided Germany mm -hmm. um, with people living in it that still carry some very specific guilt regarding the Holocaust. Uh, so there's kind of a parable there, um, especially with the doctor character. Um, and the idea of not doing something or saying something against something like incredibly evil. Um, so there's a whole subplot there with him uh, trying to live with his guilt and his guilt for abandoning his wife. Um, just some great performances like visually i i love the look of this movie uh there's scenes in this movie that are some of in my opinion the best filmed horror scenes of the past like 20 or 30 years um in particular one really riveting scene um where uh, what the fuck is her name dakota johnson is performing this incredibly complex ballet dance and as she's performing it upstairs it's basically beating and breaking another young girl that it kind of failed at being like this vessel from other suspirium like in this hidden mirror room beneath her mm -hmm. and just the way that like the the violent like immediacy of like the dance moves combined with the the girl below like getting like cracked and broken and slammed into walls and physically disfigured it's just well it's 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 a really great like effective scene um and a similar scene happens later when they're doing this dance in front of an audience where she's channeling that power like in front of the audience and it's just really mesmerizing and impressive um i love suspiria visually 
I think Suspiria's got a lot of really great. I think it's probably Argento doing his like supernatural horror at his best, and it's obviously. Um, I like Inferno a lot, but I think Suspiria is the, you know, the best of his like supernatural horror movies. Um, and that includes Phenomenon as or you know whatever is Phenomena as much as I love it. Um, I just one, think this so movie. The only is, the one thing Inferno has going for it is that opening like twenty minutes or whatever. Oh yeah, brilliant. Um, I just think this movie is is stunning. I think setting it in Berlin when they do, um, filming it in the dour like every it's a downpour every day, like it's always wet and gross. And why do you think it's so important that they like, <clears throat> it's so good that they put put it during this time period? Like, tell me more about that. Why do you like? There's there's a certain pretension to the way that Argento films things of like prestigious boarding schools and you know oh she's the daughter of a film star she's whatever that's argento's thing is to like have this element of like nascent classism and what he does whereas this is more about performing art against a potentially dangerous background and i think that because it's set in cold cold war cold war germany which is a time period that's familiar to us but still alien in the sense of like you know germany's been united for the majority of our lives at this point um and also the just being able to do the subtle uh comparison of people that had ties to the nazi party and fleeing like their own past basically and this young girl that almost has no past in the sense of like knowing herself or really knowing who she is kind of coming into her own so it's sort of a i know it's not a romance but it's sort of like a like a may may november whatever type situation where you've got this old man that's been running from who he was his entire life at this point like almost or at least like half his life um still trying to do the right thing but ultimately like getting his comeuppance and this young girl that's also running from her past, even though she doesn't really know the significance of that, coming into her own. So it's like her rise coupled with his, you know, his downfall basically is um, is really interesting. And I think we've talked about this before, and this is not something that's easy to talk about, but I think that there's, I don't know how many more Holocaust movies we need. Like, I think that there are some amazing examples of movies that really look at the horrors of World War II. I think it's something that people need to talk about and be aware of and definitely look out for signs of things happening again that are similar. Sure. But I don't think you need to have a whole lot of movies about it, except when they're done like this, where it's about <clears throat> not me seeing like a concentration camp, but somebody who just a minor figure you know in terms of like in the grand scheme of things like but someone whose life was irrevo irrevocably altered by the war and by his his own personal reaction to it <clears throat> and i think it's a great performance by swinton you know like playing this man um yes i didn't know that it was her until the end of the movie like i had no idea and i don't i didn't even know because i read it i just there was something about some way that she moved 
or said something where I was like, what the fuck? Like, that's somebody like that's that's not an old person. Right. And then I looked it up and was like, oh, shit. Well, of course, it's fucking Tilda Swinton. But um, I also think the Berlin has this really unique look to it in terms of the architecture. Um, you know, ain't nobody running across the grounds of a palazzo in... 1977 berlin because they're afraid of getting blown up right and i think it removes some of the romanticism from the story and makes it much more Mm -hmm. of like a visceral supernatural experience and i love the way the witchcraft is portrayed um very much a callback to uh like ari aster with um hereditary and the way that you film it is like lights or movement like out of the corner of your eye but i really like that and i think it's really effective in this movie um i think there's some really great performances here and again like i i just i think visually it's just amazing and i i love the way they film the dance and they give that dance like a menace like almost a mm-hmm. like this intense like undercurrent of like sexuality mixed with like abject power being wielded by these like young women it's just um it's it's really effective and really good yeah now i think this is probably my favorite movie on the list honestly the more i've like thought about these movies i've watched i've watched all these a while ago now but um the more i've thought about it i think this is probably my favorite out of all of them and i i held off on watching this for a long time despite you telling me to watch it and a lot of that was the runtime because this is what it clocks in at like 240 or so two hours and 40 minutes it's like yeah like that. like two 236 i think yeah so th- that held me back always and but i thought it was well paced enough that the runtime didn't bother me whatsoever uh yeah this is a really interesting movie it has a lot of criticism to it at times uh, despite you know it's at a 65 percent and a lot of the criticism kind of moves towards some of the things that you're talking about which is why i wanted you to ex- kind of like give your point of view a little bit more is that some people think that so where is it um so like the hollywood reporter like says that all the stuff like historically is very surface level and that it has um get ready for this one an underdeveloped studio Jungian understanding of how historical events kind of sort of overshadow their protagonist lives um the criticism being like as i read the review further is that you know it's it's this guy like you know putting it in this time period to make it seem like there's something deeper going on but there's not actually anything deeper going on like whatsoever in terms of the narrative and how it relates to that time period um that it's creating this kind of like uh false sense of deepness to it that doesn't truly exist and and that actually is not like an uncommon view um among critics is that it thinks it has depth but it doesn't have depth um I don't think I agree with that necessarily. Like, then there's other reviewers, like our friend Owen Gleiberman, who just doesn't mm. understand it whatsoever, even though he likes parts of it. Uh, so it's like he likes the the horror aspects of it, but then like it left him scratching his head about like the meaning of all of it. 
and um so i mean so can i can i yeah 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 yeah. i didn't really expect to like get this in depth although i guess whatever like what else we do the podcast for but the doctor character abandoned what he cherished most to save himself right and has lived with the guilt of that forever Dakota Johnson's character has abandoned ostensibly the thing that matters most, which is her family, but that you always get the impression was never. He's a Mennonite too. I mean, yeah, there, there's something off with that family. There's something that's not Mm -hmm. proper. And I think it's, it's about embracing who you are and who you really are. Like he's hiding who he really is to save his life, but at the expense of the life of a loved one, and at the expense of his own dignity. Yes. Whereas she's casting off everything that she is. I mean, in the end, like, like all of her inhibitions and like, you know, her, her physical raiments to step in to embrace this thing that she actually is. And it's why I think she can give him peace in the end because she understands that sacrifice is so great that not you can't expect like normal mortals i guess to to be able to bear it and he's born like the shame of it for his entire life and she's able to almost as recompense like provide him peace you know what i mean and i think that it doesn't have to be any deeper than that but i think that that's a very interesting idea is yeah you know the thought of what do you do at the end of a life that's filled with regret? Like, what do you do with the things that you've never told anyone, you know, that you've held inside yourself for, you know, 40 years of your life at that point or 30 some years where on the outside, you're ostensibly successful. And they, they do a good job of showing this comparison in the movie because he's alone, but he's still trying to help her where she's surrounded by people and doesn't even know she, she only vaguely knows that she needs to be helped. Like those scenes when they're out celebrating, where they do the internal monologues and the whispered like sounds, which I think is a good like oral callback to um, Argento and like mm-hmm. the, the Suspiria soundtrack um, where she's so isolated and so unsure of like her own um, like agency basically. And here's a guy who's had that all stripped from him and is just carrying this veneer of professionalism and wisdom when in reality he's more of a mess than she is it's very much like a coming of age and a going of age story like kind of coming together set against the obvious horror of the witch you know the coven and then the implied horror of the the time period itself in terms of like you know, the threat of terrorism and the threat of attacks that was going on in, in Berlin at that time. And um, I don't know. I think that I think they do a really good job, like building that narrative. I think they don't over explain. And I think they give you enough where if you watch it, like you can make good logical assumptions as to what you're seeing. And I think the performances really um, hold it up as well. I think it's it's just overall like a beautiful movie with some great performances and a really good payoff in the end and my only complaint i think the ending i enjoy the watching the ending much more this time because i believe the ending was originally filmed to be shown in like 4k or something like that 
Okay. Like it was meant to be what, projected. What are, you, what are you talking about? The ending? When you the, the I'm sorry, the um, climax inside the crypt of the okay. of Mother Mother gotcha. Suspiria. Okay. Um, just because it's filmed very much like almost uh, like they've turned the film speed up like a little bit too much, mm. where it's like all very jittery and fast, and it doesn't really make any sense. I know that that's on purpose, but because it's like it really makes it look like it's filmed on digital as opposed to being on film whereas i think the rest of the movie does a good job of feeling like a film or like a traditional film as opposed to a modern you know um digitally filmed production um but that's a minor complaint like i just think it's a fantastic movie yeah i think owen gleberman's a dummy so well yeah i mean owen gleberman says a lot of positive things about it, to his credit but he he um he doesn't quite like get it and and look a lot of critics don't get it there's there's also criticism towards misunderstanding the feminist nature of the movie as well um of thinking that it's actually like like anti-females in power which is really stupid um i think ultimately what it is is it's not understanding that this movie is combining the two themes about kind of like ethnic nationalism and um women abusing their power against other women and it's just a complete misunderstanding um of what's going on in this movie like entirely like because i think it's too complex for them um and i think the reason i think this is probably my favorite movie is because and this is not to criticize the other movies this is film like i i, I hate to use that distinction like this is film like there there's actual like real subtext going on throughout all of this like you know there's like i, I th this is something that i think could be studied as as art yeah I 30 agree. years from now as opposed to um you know um even the evil dead like remake like you know i mean i think it's a really great effective horror movie um but it's like this is something that i think could be studied uh the, the the last scene in this the actual last scene like with her telling klemper the truth and wiping the memories um actually made me tear up yeah like which is like i think the first horror movie since return the evil uh return living dead three <laughs> which i it, sadly admitted to you for some reason made me tear up um fucking oh didn't like that movie or whatever um no he he loved it what i thought he didn't like it no he liked it a lot oh did he make fun of me for saying that i teared up during it is that what it maybe was? but he really enjoyed that movie we were talking about it a couple weeks ago oh, okay how much he liked there, it. there was something there was something that made me feel he probably made, he made, probably made fun of you for tearing up because you were all drunk and talking about it one night and he was all drunk, so that's why neither of you remember it clearly, because it's just my fucking lame ass sitting here not drinking. This is a really anyway, good movie. The, this, it this really is. is. It's a if, really good movie. If we were ranking these movies just in terms of I don't know. My estimation of them as films, this would be number one. Um, and that, the list would be... Uh, And the list would probably be about the same, actually. Um, 
but Suspiria is it's it's very well filmed. The cinematography is amazing. Um, there's things in the direction that are just astoundingly good in the way that they frame elements of this movie and build suspense. Um, but yeah, first movie on the list, I think, is okay. honestly better than the original one. Okay, gotcha. Um, so the first movie on your list is 2010's Let Me In, directed by Matt Reeves. It stars Cody Smith-McPhee, Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, Richard Jenkins, Carla Buono, and it has an 88% from critics and a 76% from audiences. So you want to tell us about this? It's original and why it's number one. Uh, so based on um, Lars Stegson, I think is his name, a novel from the mid-2000s, uh, Let the Right One In. Um, this is a remake of, I don't remember when Let the Right, what, what, what year is this, 2013? 2008, uh, th- this is 2010, Let the Right One in, in is 2008. So Let the Right One In was this, really, maybe, I'd have to think about it. That might be the original art house horror boom like movie that people use as an example of how horror could be art is let the right one in um so this is a different adaptation of the same source material um still relatively faithful with some minor exceptions uh the plot follows this young kid who's bullied at school no friends he's a single he's like a latchkey kid basically because his mom um, broke up with his father and she because she was super religious and he wasn't um so he befriends this girl that he meets out in the playground um at their apartment complex all the time who dresses inappropriately is always dirty this is the chloe grace moretz character um and it turns out she's a vampire and in one of the coolest twists and this <clears throat> twist i guess exists in all three forms of it um the book and then the two films is that she has a handler who secures uh, bodies for her to feed on, who's been handling her for decades since he was a child and she seduced him um, and has continued to, you know, basically be a nomad and kind of like live with her to let her feed and um, whatever. So, uh, Smith McPhee and Grace Moretz um, develop a friendship that blossoms into feelings of love on both their parts, although she wants to deny it because of the fact that she's a fucking vampire. Um, he starts to go out and like kind of like like try and find the bodies for her um, because they fall in love and it's like this puppy love. And there's a detective that's um, trying to solve these unsolved murders. Um, that tracks it back to the apartment complex. Um, some amazing scenes where um, the handler sacrifices himself to her so she won't get caught. Um, all the stuff in the hospital, I think, is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that they really, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's altered, like the stuff with a. Uh, how does that go in the book so number one just to like put it out there 
<clears throat> um, kind of a very early, very subtle um, transgender role film, it just in terms of the main character. Um, the Chloe Grace Moretz character in the book, um, fuck, Ali? No, not Ali. What is her name? Sorry, I was looking up something else um, related to this movie. Pornography. Um, yeah, Abby. Is the Chloe Grace Barrett's character? Oh, um, Abby. In the book, uh, Eli. Know. Eli is what the name is in the book. Eli. Okay. Um, they say it like Ellie, but it's mm. Eli. Was a castrato in like 14th century Florence or something like that. Mm that got turned into a vampire so a boy that's had you know their privates removed um and doesn't make any bones about the fact that it's it's more about <clears throat> there's a lot of subtext to this movie that i think is fantastic there's the idea that bullying is um generational and learned behavior that comes from a person being the product of a bad environment and not just like whatever like this nascent uh like inbred thing that people have um the idea that you love who you love and sometimes you know you're gonna love someone that isn't necessarily a hundred percent what you were looking for but that it comes unexpectedly and you know to embrace it um sort of ambiguous in the end because they're riding off into the distance together um, with him as her new handler so just repeating that cycle that ended up getting the previous handler killed um just some really i, I think there's also like a minor aids parable here a little bit uh just or maybe some kind of other social disease but in the idea that um at one point, Chloe Grace Moretz has to feed because their, her original handler has failed her. Um, and she bites the neck of a nosy or an exhibitionist like next door neighbor couples, the wife of that couple, the girlfriend or whatever, um, who then bursts into flames. And one of my favorite, like, this is the kind of vampire movie I can get down with. Uh -huh. <clears throat> because it's not about like these people combing through dusty old texts to figure out they need to carry a cross or sprinkle garlic around the building or run over running water or any of that shit it's just this very small sadly sweet love story between two people who are complete outcasts in their life um set against a really great horror movie so um i think the original is still very good the original is much more slower pace has a much more slow pace than this movie um and delves more into like uh the owen character's father-son relationship with his own father um but i still think this this movie is amazing uh this is actually kind of the catalyst of this list came from uh, chris heil like mentioning this movie and me thinking like yeah you know I'm, I'm, i need to watch that movie again and then just really marking out to it like hard but um i think they're star making performances by both smith smith yes. mcphee and grace moretz um the supporting cast is really strong in this movie. Uh, 
um, Elias Cotis, Cotis, yeah. however you say it. O's dude. Yeah. As the detective who's okay. investigating the murders. Um, Richard Jenkins playing the serial killer arrested development, like a FIPA file that was the previous handler for um, Abby. It's just really great. It looks beautiful. Um, it takes place in Arizona, so it's got an openness to the feeling of it while still, you know, feeling like it takes place in a city. Um, I don't know. I just, I really love this movie. I really love everything about it. Yeah. I mean, after Chris's email and you decided that like you, it was on Netflix for free and you had me watch it like pretty quickly. So it's, it's been a while since I watched this now, actually, but um, yeah, this is a really solid movie. I was really, I didn't put as much thought into it, I think, as you did, um, as you just described, but I was just really taken in by the actual kind of, I guess, like, you know, relationship building, like, between these two young people and just their kind of experience throughout that right. film. So, um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really good. And um now i just wanted to mention real quick matt reeves who directed this movie you're a big fan of those playing the apes movies right the newer ones yeah yeah uh-huh yeah because he directed yeah, think, a couple of those yeah they're they're really good they're really well yeah. done yeah i'm a sucker for planet of the apes anyway because we've documented on the podcast that i love seeing monkeys do people things <laughs> yes. um yeah they're really good movies but this but this, this, just so you know, I mean, this is the guy that directed Paul Bear, which is like, I think one of the, like, you're like, like, I'm not going to ask you to tell that story now, but it's like, like, you, you'd like really dislike that movie a lot, right? Eh, I've just seen it a bunch all in the same week when it was released. <laughs> right. But it's like, this is like, that's his first like big feature. And then it's like, he eventually goes on to like, you know, direct a couple other movies and like, it does a bunch of television, this, the Planet of the Apes stuff. And now he's doing batman with patterson um and it's like i mean that's pretty um you know it's, it's pretty opportune in some ways that we're talking about him now um for this movie when batman's out right now but um so yeah he also just quick trivia for you frank um and maybe like one other person in the world is he did the all is bright episode of homicide which is the Catherine Irby episode where she is the AIDS victim who is going around sleeping with men to purposely. Oh, right. Yeah. And so um, Suzanne yeah. Vega's um, blood makes noise. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good yeah. job. Um, please. Please. Um, yeah. So. All right. Um, so just so everybody knows, as, as we've been doing this on Zoom for the last two years, I have become very keen on frank's mannerisms and when frank is either like stretching his hands behind his head or moving his hands in front of his face it means one of two things it means either frank is tired <laughs> or frank needs to urinate so i gotta, I gotta piss like a racehorse i'm gonna lie you could have texted me um nah, but man, um, we were rolling i wanted to just roll through it you know i, <laughs> I got bladder control i'm not an old man <laughs> all right um 
So thanks, Chris, for the recommendation. Yeah, definitely. Narrowing it down to horror movies. And um, yeah, I definitely think that um, anybody could, yeah, like all these movies. I mean, I think some like people could enjoy in some. I think they're all really enjoyable. And I I I legitimately think that Evil Dead, um, Let Me In, and Suspiria are fucking brilliant horror movies and some of the best of the best 20 years. Yeah. Need, need to watch all three of those movies. Yeah. So, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good week. And we will be Deuces. back next week with the, um, oh, you, you, you jumped. You jumped. We'll be back next week with the top five paranoid thrillers of all time. So, Deuces Part Two. <laughs>